The third king of Israel, King Solomon, um, said, God has set the right time for everything. God has set the right time for everything. Or the other version says, God has set everything beautiful in its own time. King Solomon said that at the end of his biblical poem recorded for us in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a poem about time. The poem starts like this. For everything there is a season and a time for every activity under heaven. Solomon then gives us a list of human activities. For example, he says, there is a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. And then he goes on, doesn't he? And one of the right times mentioned in that list is a time to love. A time to love. Today we are celebrating God's right and beautiful timing of love in the life of Lucas and Victoria. God has brought them together in his right time to enter a union of love as husband and wife. Lucas and Victoria, this is your time to love. A time to love and enjoy one another physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And so as you start your life of love together, I just want to encourage you with two truths about love from this passage we just read. First John chapter 3, verse 9 to 18. The first encouragement I have for you is that all children of God love one another. All children of God love one another. Two things are always true when babies are born, isn't it? First, every baby is born into a family. The family may not be loving, but that's their family. They are born into that. Secondly, the the baby has certain physical characteristics of his or her parents. Uh, He may have the legs of his mother or a nose of his father. Newborn babies share the traits of their parents. And these features, of course, become more prominent, more recognizable over time. And, of course, it's not just the physical features. I wonder, do you find... As time passes, you increasingly say to yourself, I am beginning to sound just like my mom. (laughs) Well, the truth is you are becoming like her because she gave birth to you. You are bound to resemble her. Those who belong to the same family resemble one another. And of course, what is true of our physical family is also true of our spiritual family. Everyone in this world has two families. They have a physical family and they have a spiritual family. And the Bible is saying to us in this passage we just read that there are only two spiritual families in the world. First of all, there is the spiritual family of God. This is made up of people who have admitted deep in their hearts that they are sinners against God. They know they have lied, they have cheated. They have hated, they have stolen, they have done many other evil things. And they're still doing evil things. And they know they don't always put God first in their lives. They know that. And they, but they also know that God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, 
died to pay the penalty for their sin against God. They know that God punished Christ in their place. So they have repented of their sin before God and now trusting in the death of Christ to save them from the wrath and judgment of God. The punishment they deserve from God. They are not trusting in their goodness. They are only trusting in Christ. And so God has now truly saved them. He has forgiven them their sin and given them a new life with God. They now belong to the family of God. They are true children of God. God is now their father and they have new spiritual siblings who also belong to God. That's family number one. The second spiritual family in the world is the family of the devil. Every person who is born into this world naturally belongs to the family of the devil. We are born with no life with God until God transfers us out of the family of the devil into his family. He does this when we repent and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So here's a big question, right? How can we tell who genuinely belongs to which family? How can we tell who belongs to the family of God? Well, the Bible says here, all children of God love one another. Look at verse 9 to 12 there in that passage Sister Gina read for us. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. That means he cannot continue living in sin. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he marry him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. The Bible is saying when we become part of the family of God... It gives us a new spiritual DNA, which has the love of God written on it. God is love. And so everyone who is truly born of God by his Holy Spirit has the true love of God in them, which enables them to love other people. Those who belong to the family of the devil have no true love in them. They live a life of sin and hatred. They are like Cain who killed his brother. Cain killed Abel because Cain hated God. He did not worship God properly, and as a result, Cain killed his own brother who loved and worshipped God. Those who belong to the devil cannot truly love others because, even because their rejection of God has cut them off from the very love of God that they need to love others. Verse 13 to 15 says that, doesn't it? As we carry on, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. The Bible is saying here that a person who has no eternal life of God in them cannot truly love others 
To love others, we first need to be born of God. Now, I know that sounds offensive to some of you. You're wondering, that's not the sort of thing you should be saying on a marriage. We are here to celebrate love. We will love one another. You know, are you saying that because I don't trust in Jesus, I don't have any love? Well, no. What the Bible is saying is that if you are not a true follower of Christ, you cannot love with the true and pure love that comes from God, which in effect is the only love that there really is. Just as you can't expect apples to produce oranges, you cannot expect, expect a person who is not born of God to show the true love that comes down from heaven. If you are not a true Christian, you have a shadow of a true love. It is a lifeless love. It is a copy of the real thing. God's desire is that you should truly love. And for you to truly love, you must be first born of God. You need to acknowledge your sin and ask God to forgive your sins based on the death of Christ on the cross for you. You must surrender yourself to him as Lucas and Victoria have done. And if you do that, God will forgive your sin and give you a brand new heart. He will then pour his true love in that heart, which will enable you to truly love others. God will move you from living in the family of the devil to living in his family of love, a family filled with true love for God and for other people. And I encourage you to do that right now. Be born again. Admit you are a rebel before God. Cry out to God to save you from hell by placing your trust in him. And of course, everyone here who has truly repented of their sin is born of God. Uh, if you truly belong to God, as Victoria and Lucas belong to God, then you belong to his family, isn't it? And because you really belong to God, you can really love others. Because loving others is who we are now in Christ. This is our family trait. And this is why the Bible is saying here in verse 11. Just look again at verse 11. That we should love others. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. The Bible is saying we should love others because we can. We are children of God. All children of God love one another. Why am I going with this? Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this. And I'm telling Victoria and Lucas this. To remind them what a wonderful truth they share in Christ. As we sit here this afternoon, we do not have to worry about whether Victoria will always love Lucas. Or whether Lucas will always love Victoria. If they are true followers of Christ, we know they always will love one another. Why? Because they already have the love of God poured into them. As believers, they already share love as brother and sister. This is Brother Lucas. This is Sister Victoria. They are already a spiritual family in Christ. What is happening today is that God has now blessed them with another shed of that love. The love of marriage. Lucas and Victoria, you are so blessed. 
You are starting your marriage with a divine advantage. God loves you. And he has poured all of his love into you. You have all the amazing love of the triune God. The super duper love of Christ himself. You have all of his love in your marriage. Because you are both children of the king of love. I'm not saying there won't be moments when you struggle to live out this love in your marriage. You know on this side of heaven, you're still being perfected. They're still being sanctified. They're still being made to be like Christ. So your love will always be below its full potential on this side of heaven. But because you are true children of God, your love for each other will keep growing. From this moment on, you just grow and grow in love, helped by the Holy Spirit. Which, of course, leads us to the big question, doesn't it? How are you going to know that you are growing in loving one another? How does true love for one another look like? That's a very important question, isn't it? Because our society has no true sense of what love is. When you hear the experts talk about love today, what do they say? Their favorite line is, love is love. Love is love. What is love? They say, love is love. What do I mean by that? What they mean by that is, love is doing what you want and whoever you want to do it with. They mean, as the French actress Cara Delavine says, love breaks all the rules. It breaks all laws and it overpowers governments. In other words, the love of our society is not really love. It is love for self. Self-love. It's not love, it's selfish living. The Bible says to know what true love looks like, we must look only in one place. Where is that place? At the cross of Christ. We must look at the death of Christ on that cross. And this is a second encouragement I want to give you the second and final encouragement. The second encouragement is this. We are to love one another as Christ has loved us. Lucas and Victoria, love each other as Christ has loved you on that cross. You know, when a child is learning how to draw, right, they often use a stencil, don't they, or a template to help them trace out on a piece of paper the image they would like to draw, right? The Bible is saying the death of our Lord Jesus on the cross is our stencil that helps us to draw out love on the human pages of our lives. When we look at God the Son there, our Lord Jesus Christ, hanging there on the cross, as we were reminded during Easter, He's hanging there on the cross, bleeding and dying. What do we learn about his love for us? Well, three things I just want to remind you. First, we see that true love is practical. True love is practical. Look at verse 16. By this we know love, that he that is Christ laid down his life for us. As Christ is dying on that cross, he's not just talking about his love for us. Here is God the Son wearing the rags of human flesh. 
He has cried our tears in Gethsemane. He has been judged by sinners. He has been spat on, mocked, and flogged. He has walked with open wounds on the way to the hill of Golgotha. He is God's son on that cross, nailed to that cross of wood, dying in weakness and shame, physically. He is on the cross to suffer the wrath and punishment from God for our sin. Lucas and Victoria, your love for each other from here on must be like that of our Lord Jesus Christ. You must give your body and soul to each other. You are now one flesh before God. You must live like that in practice. Give each other your body, your mind, your time. All that you have, as your vows will say in a moment. You must love, not just talk. You must do love. Your professions of love must be matched with real actions. All vows made today must be kept in practice forever until you are called home to glory. Verse 17 to 18 says this, isn't it? But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So your love must be practical. The second thing, the second truth we learn from the death of Christ is that our love is that true love is sacrificial. True love is sacrificial. Look at verse 16 again. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The love of Christ on that cross is costly. It cost him. As, he, as Christ dies on that cross, he has literally given his lifeblood for us. Brother Lucas and Sister Victoria, I said today is the time to love. It is also the time to die. The wedding is the beginning of your spiritual self-crucifixion for each other. God is calling you today to die to self. He is calling you to put each other first. This means humbling yourself, becoming nothing before each other. It means using every opportunity in your life together as an opportunity to humble yourself to save one another. <coughs> Embrace death of self in loving service to one another. Lucas, I pray to God that God will make you the most humble man you can be towards your wife. Do not be afraid of that. Sister Victoria, I pray to God that God will make you the humblest of women. Now I know the world does not agree with these words. But there is only one, one answer to the world and its foolishness. It's verse 16. By this we know love. That God, the creator of the universe, laid down his human life for us. 
And we ought, if God would do that for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Let the sacrifice of Christ be your stencil. The final truth, and I am here, we see from the death of Christ is that love is one way. It's one way, isn't it? Look at verse 16 again. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Christ, God the Son, died for us, rebellious, ungodly, sinful creatures. We deserve only hell from God. We had nothing to attract Christ to our love. But Christ is full of love, full of tenderness, full of compassion. And out of his love, he willingly died for us sinners. As the hymn writer says, he took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. That is one way love. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The one way love of Christ is love for those who don't deserve it. So, Brother Lucas, Sister Victoria, your marriage must be a human billboard of this one way love. Love one another, no matter how much the other person sins against you. Because that's how Christ has loved you. One way love is patient and kind. It is not rude or proud. It is not bending on itself. It is not self-focused. It does not keep a record of wrongs. It does not sulk for days. It does not seek to manipulate. One way love is always bearing others up. It is always looking for a window of opportunity to serve the other. It is always trusting. It is always awful. One way love never ends. So this afternoon, commit to let God make your marriage full of this practical, sacrificial, one way love. Let your love for one another follow the way of the cross. Now, I just want to finish by saying there is a danger that as you hear me remind you of these things, that you perhaps feel a bit deflated. I hope not. You're thinking, this is no fun. I thought being married would be great fun. It is fun, you know that. You discover that. But it is hard, isn't it? Marriage is hard. We've talked about that already, yeah? It is hard. And that is the point. You cannot truly love one another like Christ by your power. And God is not asking you to rely on you to love. Listen again to verse 16 for the final time. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I just want to say the point of this verse is that God has loved you in Christ. And it's through his love for you displayed on that cross that you are now able to love one another. In other words, the key for you to grow in loving one another going forward is to keep your focus on what God has already done for you on that cross. Keep your focus on the love of God displayed on the cross. The cross is a pulpit for your marriage. Sit under cross-centered preaching. Keep praying the cross. 
Keep taking part in the means of grace that points you to the cross. As a family today, commit yourself to spend time to learn and relearn the wonders of the cross. Do your marriage at the foot of the cross. And as you do that, your love for each other will increasingly take the shape of the cross. It will be practical, sacrificial, and one-way love like the love of Christ. Well, may Christ help you both as his children to grow in loving one another as you enter this wonderful and unique union as husband and wife.